Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You are listening to Killer. This is case number 21, The Delphi Murders. Lock your doors, bolt your windows, and turn off the lights. We're about to begin. So at this time, I would like to invite Indiana State Police Superintendent Douglas Carter to the podium. Words tend to escape during these periods of times, and I've only had a couple of other situations in my lifetime. <clears throat> I'm able to stand before you and say that. Why Libby? Why Abby? Why Delphi? Why Carroll County? Why the region? Why the state? Why even in the nation? I say that because this is a classic example and a clear example that evil lives amongst us. To the family, to the community, the region, the state, as a leader of the Indiana State Police, I say, I am so very sorry. Resources. It's unlikely that any of you will ever see, nor will we ever see or experience again, the level of resources that are attached to this investigation, to the media. My gosh, all I can say is this, give you my sincere thanks. See, this isn't like TV. There's a perception that, it, that this can be solved very quickly. Anything that we do can be solved very quickly, but this is a testament that, that it can't, and we need you. We've needed you since last week. We need you today, and we need you tomorrow. And likely, we'll need the media all across this nation. So from a simple guy like me to you, I say thank you. 
to the people dressed funny like me and those that represent the law enforcement profession. Please understand we're human beings just like you. I'd stand anywhere in the nation with the people standing behind me. And I would suggest to you that every time something like this happens, a little piece of us dies as well. But I also want you to understand how committed we are as, as a collective one, as a collective one, and we will continue. This has been briefed all the way up to the director of the FBI, Director Comey, and, and Greg Mass is going to talk a little bit about that. I've had an opportunity to speak to my boss, Governor Eric Holcomb, a couple different times about the situation. And every time I do, I see this look that comes over his face, just like yours in this community's. And that's, that's the unfortunate experience of experiencing evil. We're not stopping. The poster in front of you. Someone knows who this individual is. Someone knows who this individual is. Is it a family member? Is it a neighbor? Is it an acquaintance? Is it an associate? Or maybe that one guy that lives over at that one place that just kind of not right. Maybe it's just jeans. Maybe it's his jacket or his sweatshirt. Maybe it's his shirt tail. Maybe it's his posture. Maybe it's the right hand in his pocket. You see, even with technology, we need human intelligence. In other words, we need you. I'm not suggesting that science, that everything that we can do as science has been done because we are just getting started. Abby and Libby deserve us. They deserve every single one of us, and not just the people standing up here on the stage that have given so much of their lives to not just this, but, but to this profession, but each and every one of you. Each and every person listening, watching, or seeing this in some form, we need you. Libby and Abby need you. Please do not rationalize tips away. Rationalize what you think that might not be important away. By thinking he would never do that to another human being. Or think what I know doesn't matter. Let folks like the people that are standing behind me with such incredible passion and commitment and dedication to this profession make that determination. Tips are anonymous. Some might not want to talk about it because they don't want to get involved because they know the individual. Again, he may be a family member, probably has family. No one will ever know. No one will ever know. There's not an agency on the planet better than, than helping us facilitate this than the FBI. And they're as entrenched in this as anybody no one will know. As poor as this picture is, somebody knows. And if you're watching, we'll find you.
Who's next? I hate to ask you that question. And I'd give my life to not have to. But I know you've asked yourself that very question. We must recognize it. You see, we're all the same. We're all human beings. We must keep our resolve for Libby and Abby, for this community, and frankly, to ensure that good trumps evil. And it will. You're going to hear more in just a minute about what we know. Do not discount the voice that you'll hear. We will stay committed with resolve very, very rarely exhibited with human behavior until this conclusion. Please be patient. Become our partners and communicate with us as often as you can. And now from a very humble servant, that's the most blessed guy on this planet to represent the profession that I represent, to Abby and Libby. It's my hope and my prayer that you're now experiencing God's promise of eternal peace. Abigail J. Williams, Abby, 13, of Delphi, died Tuesday, February 14, 2017. She was born June 23, 2003 in Salt St. Marie, Michigan, to her mother, Anna M. Williams. Abby was an 8th grader at Delphi Community Middle School where she played saxophone in the school band and was on the volleyball team. She enjoyed reading and had a big reading counts number in her DCMS language arts class. She had attended several area churches with her family. Abby loved to camp and swim and loved being outdoors. She liked riding ATVs with her family on camping trips to Michigan. She loved all animals, especially her cat Bongo. She enjoyed photography and art drawing and creating little masterpieces that decorated her mother's home. Abby and her good friend Libby were excited and looking forward to planning their next four years of school together. Liberty Libby German, 14, of Delphi, went to be with the Lord on Monday, February 13, 2017. Liberty was born on December 27, 2002, in Lafayette, Indiana, to Derek A. German and Carrie Hillenberg German Timmons. They survive. She was an 8th grade student at Delphi Community Middle School. Liberty enjoyed playing volleyball, softball, soccer, and swimming. She was also a band member and enjoyed preparing for the academic bowl in her high-ability class at DCMS. She loved painting and doing crafts and going on vacations. In the small town of Delphi, Indiana, with a population of just shy of 3,000 people, according to a 2010 census, on February 13, 2017, best friends Abby Williams, 13, and Libby German, 14, were spending a day off of school together. The pair decided to head down to a trail near the Monon High Bridge at 1.30 p.m. A family member dropped them off and was scheduled to pick them up a few hours later. The girls were dropped off at the bridge and went about their day and having fun. At 2.07 p.m., Libby posted a photo of her friend Abby walking along the old railroad bridge. This was the last anyone would hear from the girls. They had set a time to be back at the drop-off spot and meet up with a family member to pick them up, but they never returned. The family began searching the area for Abby and Libby around 2.30 until 5.30 p.m. Then they reported the girls missing to the Carroll County Sheriff's Department. At this point, the Carroll County Sheriff's Department, as well as the Delphi Police and Fire Departments, joined together with the Department of Natural Resources to begin a search for Abby and Libby. The initial mood of police was just that the girls had gone missing and they did not suspect foul play. They attempted to ping the girls' cell phones, however, they weren't getting anything. 
They were either dead or turned off. Around 11.45 p.m., the search was called off, but the family continued looking. Sheriff Lazenby reportedly said that he did not think the girls were in imminent danger and that they would begin search efforts again first thing in the morning. The following day, Valentine's Day, February 14, 2017, the search began again starting around 10 a.m. Around 12.45 p.m., the Delphi Fire Chief stated that they had found Libby and Abby, and he said the discovery was not good. At 1.50 p.m., Indiana State Police, PIO Kim Riley, Carroll County Sheriff Tobe Lazenby, and Delphi Police Chief Steve Mullins held a press conference announcing the discovery of the bodies of Abby and Libby. At the time, they did not say they found them, but rather they had scaled back the search since the bodies had not been fully identified yet. The next day, February 15th, around 2.30 p.m., the investigators identified the bodies that were recovered just a half mile from the bridge as those of 13-year-old Abby Williams and 14-year-old Libby German. An autopsy on the bodies had been done earlier in the morning in Terre Haute. Later in the evening, police released a photo, now known as the Bridge Guy, showing a man walking across the bridge wearing a navy blue jacket, light-colored denim jeans, and possibly a brown hat or brown hair. Over the following days, the community mourned the loss of the young girls, and a public service was held at Delphi High School on February 18th. Thousands of people attended. On February 19th, the man identified in the photo is officially named the prime suspect in the girls' murders. On February 22nd, the FBI and Indiana State Police held a press conference at 10 a.m. That was the press conference that you had heard at the beginning of this clip. They released audio from the day the girls were murdered, and it was revealed that the image of the man as well as the audio came directly from Libby's cell phone. We're going to play that audio now. So that audio is a loop of a man saying, down the hill, and uh, we just looped it for about 24 seconds, so you get a good sense of what the man sounds like as he's ordering the pair to obviously go down a hill, you know, near their hiking trail. So what's, you know, interesting about what happened here is, you know, the girls go missing, but they recover some type of evidence from Libby's cell phone. And they have a picture. They release the picture. They also have um, the audio of Down the Hill. Now, at one press conference, and I'm not, sh- I, I don't believe we play it, we'll play the audio of this, but at one of the following press conferences relating to the case, uh, police admit that they have a little bit more than what they've shared with the public in terms of audio uh, from her phone. So I'd be really curious to know what else they have. Yeah, I would be curious as well. Do you think it's actually the the murder as it's happening? Do you think it's too graphic to release to the public? Is that why you think that they're setting on it? Or why why would they be holding that information back? Uh, it's pure speculation, but sometimes they have something that's like only the killer would know. And so they don't want to release that information for people to fake claims that they're the killer. And then they have this information. It's like, you know, we'll keep this piece of information back. That way, when we find our killer then when we interview them if they can address a b or c then we know that it was them yeah but that down the hill clip 
after you loop it for a while, you really start to draw a pattern of what this person sounds like. I mean, it's not the greatest recording in the world, but you can kind of kind of pick up on what this person actually sounds like. Yeah, and uh, I, that's why I played it on that loop for as long as I did. I know it doesn't necessarily make for the greatest podcast experience, but you know, if you're uh, essentially, um, you know, a, a lot of people are familiar with this case, and you may know that nobody has been caught yet for this. And so, I guess the intention of this podcast is really to spread the word, and you know, in addition to the others who have done it too, um, keeping this in the media spotlight. And trying to get this stuff out there, there's a lot that that goes on behind the scenes, and police are investigating a lot of tips. And I just feel like it's really important to keep talking about this case because I think it's a very solvable one. Right. They did mention that they tried to ping the cell phones and didn't get a a response right away. So I'm assuming that at some point the cell phone was probably left turned on and did, you know, eventually die. I've always wondered in cases like this. Maybe the guy that was the perpetrator didn't have a cell phone on him, but I wonder if they're also able to pick up ping history from that area or that location of who may have, you know, been in that area at that time of the attack. And if they could use any of that information. That was like one of the first things I wondered as I was, you know, basically re-researching this case, you know, to do this podcast. And I thought about that. The thing is with, pinging technology is it's not always super accurate from what i understand you know you don't always get a correct ping on the location that you're in and and those kinds of things but i mean at at minimum you would think that they would have run the records for everything that pinged in those towers in the general vicinity and traced all of those phones you would just think i mean but who's to say that the person wasn't carrying a cell phone with them at the time if they planned on doing something malicious to begin with. Yeah, it's it's completely possible that that's they've already went down that route and didn't come up with anything. Maybe the person just didn't have the phone with them. Yeah, that or there were just so many records that it wasn't something that was even like feasible. Like maybe they tried, but you know, you're only going to get so far, but who knows? I mean, Delphi is not a huge town, so I can't imagine the pings were were, you know, that ridiculous, but I also don't know what the rule is on, I don't know if law enforcement can get just access to all the records or if they can only get access to the records for the people that, you know, they're concerned for at that moment. So being like Libby and, and Abby. Yeah. I guess it could be a matter of how the, how the, the warrant is, you know, constructed, what they're allowed to obtain, what they're not allowed to obtain. I I would think in a case like this that they could it would be a kind of an all hands on deck type of thing. And they could go ahead and get pull everything within that, you know, whatever that three to five mile range of however far that ping carries and pick up all those records. But, you know, I just don't know either. It's kind of would have been the first route I would have took. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. I, I'm sure they tried. I'm just not sure if, like I said, if they can do the, uh, the ping for everything that hits the tower or if they can only ping for, you know, get the records back for Libby and Abby's phones specifically and which towers they hit. I'm not sure how that all works, you know, like if it's traced from the phone level, so you need to know the phone that was pinging the towers to trace it, or if you can, you know, reverse engineer it and go from everything that pinged the tower back to the phones. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Once you have some a suspected phone, though, and can get a warrant on that phone, you know, I mean, sky's the limit as far as whatever data it's capturing. I mean... 
let's be honest. I mean, every day I leave to take my kids to school or if it's a day that I'm driving to work, my my phone will automatically pop up and say, hey, you're only 10 minutes away from Dunkin' Donuts because it knows I go to Dunkin' Donuts on that day that I drive to work to get my coffee. Oh, yeah. Although absolutely. I didn't plan it that way. It, it, knows, it knows my behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's one of those things that, um, you know, to kind of sidebar just a little bit on technology and privacy, you know, a lot of people trade their privacy for convenience. And, you know, a lot of people will also say, well, you know, they don't really know that much about me. Well, yeah, they know a lot about you. And when they say like they have metadata about you, that's all they need. They don't necessarily need your name, but things are really creepy. A coworker and I flew to uh, visit one of our customers and we were, you know, in a meeting with this, this group of people and my coworker shows me a screenshot like two or three days after we had left of Facebook suggesting that he friend request the customer that we met with and it had their Facebook profile and how it did that is it knew his phone was in location X and the customer was at location X and they were next to each other for so long they were able to determine that hey you may know this person that you were sitting next to for several hours several different times really creepy stuff Mark Zuckerberger would never invade our privacy right did you call him Zuckerberger <laughs> yeah whatever <laughs> I can think of worse things to call them. <laughs> on that note, I think we should move on. Yeah, I agree. Thousands of tips were pouring in from all over the place. The FBI began fielding a lot of the phone calls and approximately 6,000 electronic billboards across 48 states were put in place. I think this would be the appropriate place to note that you can contact the tip line if you have any information at 1-844-459-5786. The citizens of Delphi decided to show their support to the family in an effort known as the Light Up Delphi. Citizens would place an orange light bulb on their front porch. The local area Lowe's donated 1,000 orange light bulbs, and they were passed out by the Delphi Lions Club. All proceeds went to the family. Over the next few months, not much progress is made in the investigation. Police had, after three months, received 16,000 tips and conducted 500 interviews, but still had no suspect. The family of Abby and Libby begin making appearances on various media outlets in order to keep the case in the spotlight. They also announced in April that due to the girls' fondness of playing softball, they would open a sports complex in their honor. On July 17th, investigators release a composite of the suspect. The composite was created following new information from witnesses along the trail. No major information came to light for the next several months until around September 29th, 2017. Detectives working in the investigation flew to Colorado to interview a person of interest, Daniel Nations. The reports on the visit are scarce. However, they were there to collect evidence, which might say a little bit about the type of evidence police currently have on the case. As of now, police have only released some audio and a blurry photo, both from Libby's phone. This may tell us that they have some DNA evidence. Over the coming months, the families of the girls keep doing media rounds trying to keep their case in the national spotlight. This included appearances on Dr. Oz, Nancy Grace, and Dr. Phil. After some of these appearances, the tips started to pour in. On January 24, 2018, Daniel Nations was served an extraditable warrant for unrelated felony charges in Johnson County, Indiana. Let's take a moment to talk about Daniel Nations. Nations was accused of threatening hikers on a trail with a hatchet. His vehicle matched the description that police had for the so-called hatchet man. He had been pulled over for having expired Indiana license plates, and police found a 22 caliber gun in his vehicle. 
What is also interesting is that Hatchet Man frequented an area where another unsolved murder happened, that of bicyclist Tim Watkins. Watkins was found shot to death and buried under a pile of twigs and brush near a cycling trail that he frequented. The caliber of gun used in that murder matched the gun found in Nation's car. Nations was also wanted on a warrant from Johnson County for failing to register as a sex offender. As of February 4, 2018, police could not say for sure whether Nations was or was not a suspect in the case, but he still remained a person of interest. Nations does resemble the photo of the bridge guy, and the composite sketch as well. Many thought this was a good sign of things to come. As the one-year anniversary approached for the murders, more than 30,000 tips had come in, and the reward reached $240,000. The bridge guy composite and photos are really fascinating to me. Like, you get a picture of bridge guy walking a little oddly, it looks like. He's kind of, like, teetering across the bridge in one photo, and then the next one he's kind of standing straight up. And he's got this navy blue, almost like a windbreaker-looking kind of jacket. It doesn't look like it's very thick. It's probably, you know, like something you would wear in the springtime. And, you know, he's also got what looks like a brown shirt on, maybe. It's kind of hard to tell. The photos are pretty grainy. But, you know, he's got that, like, a brownish color. Maybe it's a red. Uh, It could be because of the shadows and the way the light is. It might just be a shadow. But then he's got, you know, light blue... Uh, denim blue jeans on and then it looks like just regular tennis shoes the one image from the phone the one i'm looking at on the right where he's standing up straight it looks almost like it's a brown type of flannel shirt and i can't tell looks like the jacket is partially unzipped and i don't know if he's wearing a scarf but looks like something might be around his neck as well yeah it does there's like something sticking out of the jacket or at least it looks like it or the jacket's just unzipped and so you're seeing like that top bit of the jacket exposed and just the way the light is bouncing off the material or like the inside might be like a light color, or like a white or something. It's really hard to tell. But yeah, it's it's very interesting. And so uh, what's really fascinating is the composite sketch that was drawn of the man. Uh, I'm sure many of you have seen this. It's what looks like a guy probably in his late 30s to mid 40s wearing what I would call like uh like a cab style hat, you know, like it's like a floppier on top with a really short brim and it kind of buttons to the brim. Um, what's it? Didn't the dude from ACDC wear a hat like that all the time? Bon Scott. I don't oh yeah. Remember. Yeah. And oh, then Brian Johnson did too. Brian Johnson. Yeah. And then they had the, uh, he has like a little bit of a shag hair that just kind of flares out over his ears and he's got a pretty big bulbous nose and a goatee and thin lips. And, you know, his face is a little bit heavier looking, like he's overweight, but not fat, you know, like not obese, but just like heavier set is what it looks like from the composite. And Daniel Nations, when you compare these pictures side by side, Daniel Nations features resemble a lot of this guy's features. The only difference is Nations at this time, he doesn't appear to be very heavy. So his face looks a lot thinner than the composite. But again, this is a composite sketch. So, you know, you could be off a little bit on some of these features, so it's hard to see say how nitpicky you want to be. But Bridge Guy was estimated to weigh between 180 and 220 pounds with reddish brown hair, 5 foot 6 to 5 foot 10. Nations is 5 foot 9, 169 pounds. And the interesting thing here is 
when he was uh, booked on a, in Florida for a, a sex registry listing, he was 190 pounds. So he would fit right in the middle of, I mean, right smack in the middle of that, that weight and that height. Yeah, exactly. He's, he's definitely a ringer for that composite in a lot of ways. And he's got reddish brown hair. I mean, he, he checks off a lot of the boxes. Yeah, in his mugshot, he's visibly lighter than the 190, I think. And I mean, he's, he, and also he's, he shaved his hair shorter and he's growing a full beard, not just a goatee like you see in the composite sketch, but feature wise, everything else, I mean, it's kind of creepy to look into the composite and his actual mugshot side by side because I can, just analyzing it for the first time, this is the first time I've seen the two side by side. I mean, you can draw a lot of similarities there. Yeah, I know. It's uh, really interesting to see like how much of a ringer he is for this composite. It's uh, it's something else. Um, Nations does have a pretty long criminal history. In 2007, he was arrested for public masturbation in a Walmart parking lot in South Carolina. He reportedly asked a woman if she wanted to get in on this. It'll be fun. That was a quote that he said. He has several domestic violence and sex crime charges and regularly missed court appearances. He was transient, living in Florida, Indiana, Colorado, and New Jersey. His social media contained strange posts, references to God and how God is the only one who can judge him. He was, uh, his suspected Instagram account had 67 people he followed, and most of them were porn accounts. He was in Indiana during the murders. Nations strangely disappeared immediately after that composite was released. And this is not a fact, but a report stated that the manner of death from the girls were wounds from a sharp object and possibly nearly decapitated. And that could have been a potential link to the hatchet or just purely rumor and speculation made up. And he reportedly has a terrible temper. So what do you, that's a lot, but what do you make of that? This guy definitely sounds like a piece of work, that's for sure. And he's been all over the place. I mean, Florida to Indiana, out to Colorado, back to New Jersey. I mean, he's a little bit everywhere. I mean, and as we listened to that, trailer in the beginning and he was like who's next and i hate to ask that question but if this was the person he's been so many different places i i what that would lead me to believe that there's more than just these two young girls yeah and i just want to point this out for a minute but the the man who speaks in the majority of these press conferences quite a bit is uh superintendent doug carter and that guy I've never heard somebody speak more genuinely about something. And he seems to me like he is like truly eaten up inside uh, about this case for whatever reason. I know Delphi is a pretty small town, so they probably don't deal with a lot of murders like this. And they, they received a lot of assistance from like the FBI and various other agencies. And, but that man seems like he will not rest until this case is solved. And like the Golden State Killer series where you had several detectives that got really close to the case, this man is every bit as close to this case as those those men were, men and women, in the Golden State Killer series, who I felt like also were super vested in finding out what happened and getting it solved. And I just feel like uh, Doug is, you know, he's special. And, you know, I hope that they, I hope that for, um, you know, his own mental well-being after dealing with this, that he's able to help solve this case because I think it would mean the world to him to, to help provide justice for these families. Yeah, absolutely. And you can hear, you can hear it in his voice, just like you said. He is, I mean, it's tearing him apart inside. It almost sounds like 
you can physically hear him, the anguish in his voice as he talks about this case. And it also comes in, I mean, my perception was, I mean, it almost sounds like he's going to make this a personal vendetta to find the person who did this, which is not a bad thing in this case. I mean, he is completely and 100% invested in helping solve this case. And you can just hear that in his voice. Yeah. And I love that about him. And I, again, I hope he, he figures it out and he can help to, to bring this perpetrator to justice. We're going to take a listen now to another clip of a press conference that was held marking the one year anniversary of the deaths of Abby and Libby. And again, just, you know, listen to his voice and the things that he says and the way that he phrases things. I mean, this, this guy is as genuine as it gets. And just take a listen. Everybody ready? Good afternoon. I want to thank you all for coming today. Um, today we're going to talk about the Abby Libby case. Some of the people standing behind me is Superintendent Doug Carter with the Indiana State Police. You got Detective Deputy Sheriff Kevin Hammond over here. Excuse me, over there. You got uh, Sheriff Tobe Lesby with the Carroll County Sheriff's Department. On this side, Special Agent, FBI Special Agent Mike Peasley, and then First Sergeant Jerry Holman. They're going to discuss to you. They're going to discuss today the things that uh, have been going on over the last year with this case. Um, Superintendent Carter will do most of the talking, and uh, at this time I'll turn over the podium to him. Thank you. Well, first of all, um, welcome. I didn't really know what to expect when I stood on this trail just a little bit ago, over the course of the last 15 minutes, but... Um, very uncomfortable feeling. Uh, we're a year in, a year today. Um, I would be remiss to not talk about the people that have made um, made this whole for the first year without an arrest. We talked about uh, Sheriff Linsenby, who, st who stands behind me to, to, to the left, and, and Kevin Hammond, uh, Mike Peasley with the FBI, um, Jerry Holman over my right shoulder, Steve Buckley, um, the new prosecutor, Nick McClelland, here in Carroll County. What I've seen over this course of the last years are, are, are memories and times and, and comments and things that will stand with me and live with me for the rest of my life. The very best of humanity uh, and the very worst of times. I was able to see uh, from afar this community in Carroll County in the city of Delphi come together and support not only the not only um, a law enforcement the people that were here they've given so much of their lives to this case but but also to the families and I just wanted to say I am forever humbled I don't know what you expected today but I came to plead and implore you to keep this out front and center I said before and I, I'm confident I'll say again I hope that one day when we all meet Abby and Libby that they tell us you did well. That's my hope. We cannot allow, we cannot allow evil to prevail. Our world is completely out of balance and we cannot allow that to prevail. 
I've said all along that we, as an agency, will be here as long as I'm breathing and as long as Governor Holcomb allows me to continue to stay in the position that I hold. I have the opportunity to brief him, for, brief him regularly. This isn't about how many hours we spend. It's not about how much it costs. It's about every single asset that the ISP has we will give to this sheriff, this community, and to each and every one of you because I refuse to accept evil as a standard bearer in American society, not here. People have oftentimes asked me, why is this so personal to you? It's personal to me because those two young girls were everybody's daughter. In this beautiful place that represents the very best of humanity, and look what happened. That's why it, it, it's very personal to me. And I just hope that one day I can look into the eyes of a murderer and ask him why. And I believe that we will. I, I, believe, that, I believe that we will. I know you have a bunch of questions for me. But please understand, if the question has to do with the investigative process, tactics associated with the investigation, what only the killer would know, that we know, I can't answer your question. And I just ask you to, to ask for you to please understand that um, when, when we open this up. Many people have said, did you think it'd be a year? I don't know. I, I don't know. How, how do you answer that question? I believe we're one piece of the puzzle away from figuring out who this individual is. Then the real work begins. Over 30,000 tips. Thank heavens the FBI was engaged with us, with the Orion system and the expertise that the FBI brought from all over the country to allow us to manage that kind of data. We've had inquiries and requests for discussion from agencies all over the country, not only because this is such a high-profile case, but because of the complexities associated with the time since we found their bodies a year ago, a year ago tomorrow. As I close my comments to you, I want to say thank you. Um, I've had the pleasure of having relationships with our local media and our statewide media and even our national media for more than 30 years. I appreciate our partnership. I appreciate our partnership. I've had the opportunity to, to travel to the East Coast and the West Coast with Mike and Becky and the families to, to continue to perpetuate this message if somebody out there knows who this individual is. None of that's possible without you. It's really, really important that you understand how important and what the, the importance of the role is that you play. Technology is wonderful, but technolo technology can also challenge us. I would ask that folks not continue to compare photographs on the Internet. Please, if you have an idea of an individual, of a comment, of a phrase, of a name that you send it to us, it creates lots of complications when that analysis is done outside of the purview of the experts that I happen to be able to represent that are standing behind me today. So I hope you hear me loud and clear. If you're watching this and you're responsible, today may be your day. It might be tomorrow, but I can guarantee you your day's coming. We've got to perpetuate the relationship that we have and we've got to not stop. Ladies and gentlemen, I've seen detectives that have given their lives to this case, that have held off and discussed holding off, holding off retirement 
that have canceled family vacations, that work nights, weekends, and holidays so that we can explain to you one day and to this incredible community and to our state what happened. So our commitment is longstanding, it's real. It's as real today as it was 365 days ago, and it'll be as real tomorrow as it was today. We are not going away. We are not going away. With all that said, the floor is yours. So that was the one-year anniversary press conference, and what did you think about uh, the messaging there? I mean, it, it's a lot like the first press conference that we listened to, the determination to solve the case and just the commitment from all those involved. He said they're giving up personal time. They're not retiring, working holidays. I mean, it's it sounds like it's, you know, obviously their first priority to solve this case. Yeah. And, you know, the determination that they have, you know, coming back a year from the day that it happened, and they sound like they're still just as anxious as ever to solve this case. I was really happy to hear that. I mean, it was another year ago now, or, you know, now two years removed. And so this was kind of in the middle of that. And, uh, you know, I was really happy to hear, you know, during these press conferences, they have the same determination, the same will to solve this case that they did the moment it started, even though they don't really have much new, you know, and they're willing to keep this case in the spotlight because, like he said, they're one piece of the puzzle away from solving the case. And that, you know, keeping this out there might just get them what they need to pull that thread that then unravels the rest of the mystery. Right. One thing that I thought was interesting, and I think you alluded to it already, is when I asked a question, why do you think they're withholding some of the information from us? Is that they possibly have something that the killer would know that would identify them, you know, 100% lock them in as the, as the offender. And it, to me, I, I think he reiterated that point in that second news conference is that they do have something that they're holding back that directly is related to that person, whoever it is. And once they put that last final piece together, they've got them. Yeah, I, I agree. I think they do have something that's pretty damning for this person. However, it's not damning enough to figure them out by whatever evidence they have. And I just... You know, I don't know that I ever found out or thought about it to look, but the picture of the bridge guy, I don't know. Oh, I guess, never mind. I I was thinking, you know, like the timeline of when that picture was taken, but, you know, obviously it had to be before, you know, the girls were killed because they came from one of the girls' cell phones. So never mind. Answer my own question. <laughs> okay. Going back to that long list of what we talked about with nations, they didn't allude to him in that press conference, but I'm wondering if you, you, you called out the one part that said not a fact. The girl suffered many wounds from a sharp object and possibly were nearly decapitated. I'm assuming that their autopsy is not public record since this is an ongoing case or it may, it may not be released since they were minors. I don't know how that works. Yeah, I think you're right on that. And, and I never found anything that was like legit enough for me to to report on uh, maybe it's out there maybe I just didn't come across it but I didn't find anything that suggested the way that they died and I guess that's kind of what started me down that path of the question that I answered for myself was how like it, he wasn't he didn't really get any blood on him but again this was taken before it happened you know just 
miscalculating there, but I was just uh, right starting to think about it like, well, he wasn't very bloody looking in that photo, but duh, it was taken way before anything happened or whatever. So anyway, they have something. I just don't know what that something is. Yeah, hopefully it comes out at some point and they, they put those dots together and we know what they were holding and what actually cracked the case. Yeah, and they also have more of an audio recording you know, than what they're sharing with the down the hill stuff. Uh, they definitely have more than that, but they haven't really given us a ton to go on. Right. Police eventually stated Daniel Nations is not someone they cared a whole lot about at this time in relation to the murders of Abby and Libby. Over the following year, no new leads were made public. The case appeared to be growing colder. On April 22, 2019, a multi-agency press conference was held where police updated the public on a new direction the case was taking. We are going to play that press conference for you now. Doug Carter, and he has taken the stand. We'll take a listen in. Hey, the Delphi community, how grateful I am. You, um, you inspire people that you don't even understand, and you don't even understand why. Uh, Information is being released today is the result of literally thousands and thousands of hours of extraordinary investigative efforts by Delphi, Carroll County, the FBI, the Indiana State Police, and countless other agencies. This community surrounded us some 26 months ago, and you did everything you could to support us, but most importantly, you surrounded the family of these two little girls. Gosh, I'll never forget it. After you hear what we're going to release today, I'm going to ask for your continued support, your continued understanding, your empathy and compassion um, as, we, as we move forward uh, to find out who did this, and we will. We're seeking the public's help to identify the driver of a vehicle that was parked at the old CPS DCS welfare building in the city of Delphi that was abandoned on the east side of County Road 300 North next to the Hoosier Heartland Highway between the hours of noon to five on February 14th, 2017. If you were parked there or know who was parked there, please contact the officers at the command post at the Delphi City Building. We are releasing additional portions of the audio recording from that day. Please keep in mind, the person talking is one person and is the person on the bridge with the girls. This is not two different people speaking. Please listen to it very, very carefully. We are also releasing video recovered from Libby's phone. This video has never before been previously released. The video shows a suspect walking on the bridge. When you see the video, watch the, watch the person's mannerisms as they walk. Watch the mannerisms as he walks. Do you recognize the mannerisms as being someone that you might know? Remember, he is walking on the former railroad bridge. Because of the deteriorated condition of the bridge, the suspect is not walking naturally due to the spacing between the ties. 
During the course of this investigation, we have concluded the first sketch released will become secondary as of today. The result of the new information and intelligence over time leads us to believe the sketch, which you will see shortly, is the person responsible for the murders of these two little girls. We also believe this person is from Delphi, currently or has previously lived here, visits Delphi on a regular basis, or works here. We believe this person is currently between the age range of 18 and 40, but might appear younger than his true age. Directly to the killer who may be in this room. We believe you are hiding in plain sight. For more than two years, you never thought we would shift gears to a different investigative strategy, but we have. We likely have interviewed you or someone close to you. We know that this is about power to you. And you want to know what we know. And one day, you will. A question to you. What will those closest to you think of they find out that you brutally murdered two little girls, two children. Only a coward would do such a thing. We are confident that you have told someone what you have done. Or at the very least, they know because of how different you are since the murders. We try so hard to understand how a person could do something like this to two, to two children. I recently watched a movie called The Shack. And there's also a book that talks so well about evil, about death, and about eternity to the murderer. I believe you have just a little bit of a conscience left. And I can assure you that how you left them in that woods is not, it's not what they're experiencing today. to the family. I hope that you all will give them some time because we're going to be asking that there's no media inquiry or no media response for at least the next two weeks and I hope you understand why. The family found out about this, about this information this morning. I just want the family to know that 
When I take my last breath on this earth, I'll be thinking of them. There's going to be a tremendous amount of questions. I know that. I know that. Uh, never in my career have I stood in front of something like this. Please be, be patient with us. Please. Uh, we're just beginning. We are, we are just now beginning. And I can tell you on behalf of the sheriff and the police chief, so many other partners um, that have stood with us over this period of time, that we will not stop. I just unveiled the person that we believe responsible for the murder of these two little girls. So I invite media to take a look at that now. It's not up. Kim. We're also going to show you a video not previously released that superintendent spoke to and also the audio that's additional to what's been previously released. It's only a slight change in it. So give Sergeant Riley just a second as he gets that up and ready. Stand by for the video, please. There is no sound of the video. As Superintendent Carter mentioned, he is on the railway bridge. You have to take uh, different steps to get to it. This information later this afternoon will be on the state police website. For the community that's here, we have uh, 100 copies of the news release. If you put in that URL, you'll be able to get to that site to play it. And we also have uh, that same release for you in the media. And the rest of the state will get that release in about 15 minutes. So we appreciate those of you that came here. This concludes our announcement. Thank you for your time, patience, and courtesy. So police unveil their new strategy and their new shift going forward in the investigation. And what I found fascinating is the, the police decided to shift their strategy, but more than anything else, they changed the complete composite sketch to something entirely different than what they had originally used. And looking at the sketch and then looking at the video, I feel like the sketch number two is far more accurate. What do you think about that? Yeah, it's still kind of hard to see with with the photo and the the composite, but I'm looking at the two now. I mean, it does it is a lot closer. There's no facial hair though in the second composite, the newest release, and there's obviously I guess it could be some shadowing from the image, but it does look like he has some facial hair in the actual photo from the cell phone. 
Yeah, if you look at the composite and kind of compare the two, the like I said, the original composite, he was wearing a hat, had like some shaggy hair, goatee, looked like a heavier set, middle-aged man. Composite number two, which is now considered primary composite, it's a younger looking guy with like I would say like curly hair that is short but not super short if you know what I mean it's like enough that like you could style it up on your head and but it's not like super long where it'd be like down to your neck or you know around your ears or anything and you know he's got like more inset eyes still has the thin lips but the nose is drastically different the nose is much more narrow and then when you look at the little bit of a video they released so essentially it's the bridge guy walking down the bridge, but the bridge is very rickety, they say, and unstable. So he's kind of walking in this very strange manner. But as you're watching this video, and I started really looking at the the picture of the guy, it does look to me like he does have that hair. There's a very like small frame in that you know series of images where it looks like that is hair. It's not a hat. And I don't feel like he does have facial hair, and he looks very young. The age difference between the two composites is pretty drastic, in my opinion. The The second primary composite is of a much younger person, for sure. To me, it looks like somebody in their mid to late 20s, honestly. I know he said 18 to 40, but... Oh, he looks high school age to me. If you look at um the first set of composites or not composites, the first uh, images where they have the side-by-side of the bridge guy, and it's the one on the left-hand side, and you see the guy, he's kind of taking a step. If you blow that up as much as you can, so I'm looking at it on my iPad, and I just blow it up to the size, that looks to me like where they came up with the composite. If you look at it, it looks like he has a light brown hair that is styled on his head, and then he has a very young looking face to me in this picture. Now, I don't know how you come up with like the actual facial features that they come up with like in detail in their composite, but man, he does not look like he has a goatee. The two images are, I mean, there are, do you think he has a hat on on the one on the right though? No, I think it's just such a bad quality image that in the background is like very brown and his hair is very brown, like that same like middle of winter like just everything's this dull dead brown looking color in the in the midwest um when there's no snow like that's what it looks like it's just dull and it's like his hair's like the same color and it looks to me like he's very thin he's not heavy set at all it's just his coat is kind of protruding out he's got his hands like tucked in his pockets like under his coat or in his jeans and so it makes it look a little poofier than it is. I bet you this guy weighs 170 pounds tops. One interesting thing, I know you can start picking things apart as you stare at these two images for a long time, but I can see where the picture on the left, you see his hair and it's a little bit brighter, but the image on the right, to me, it almost, it, it kind of looks like that hat in the first composite, but also if you look at it enough, You see kind of a shadow over his right shoulder. It almost looks like he could have a hoodie on under that jacket and pulled his hood up in that second image if you look at it long enough. Yeah. Well, compare it, though, back to the one on the left because it's literally just like a few frames apart. And 
on the left, it looks like he has like a hood sticking out of the back of his jacket. Like you're right about that. It does look like a hood. And I don't think he has it pulled up. I think it's just more, it's just so blurry and grainy that it's really hard to tell on the right. Like that image gets very distorted. But on the left, you can see he's like looking down, watching where he's walking. And he looks like a younger guy. Like, I don't know. I would say he could easily be like high school age to early college. Like that's what I would peg him at. I I would say this dude, I, I think he's young. I think he's very young. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to get everybody's take on this once we share these pictures out and get the episode uploaded and get all that information out there to see what people think as they examine them as closely as we are right now. Yeah, head out to our Instagram. We'll have this posted out on our Instagram page as soon as we post this case, and you can take a look for yourself. I'll also try and post a link to, um, or a couple other images as well. I'll post the new composite, the old composite, as well as the uh, the GIF of them walking down the bridge of the of the bridge guy, because the GIF is a little blurrier as I'm watching it, and you know that one. It's the very end frame that you get that crisp look that you get on that side by side image of him that they had initially released. So. It's still really blurry. It's really difficult. The uh, The camera's not that great, so it's very pixelated. Just to go back to the image and the video, do you think that those girls, that was their normal hangout spot at this bridge, and they just happened to see this dude, and it, to them it felt out of place, so they started recording him? That's why these images were on her phone, was they were... It could be very pixelated because she was trying to zoom in as much as possible to try to see who it was. Mm-hmm. You know, that's interesting. I don't know if police even know or not, you know, based on what footage they have, but it could very well be, you know, they were taking pictures of each other and signing them up on Snapchat, you know, before. So they could have just had their phones out and were like screwing around being kids or the dude was a little bit creepy and weird and they got a vibe and decided to start recording him. You know what I mean? So I'm not sure what happened there. My gut reaction would say that they probably were just recording just because that's what teenage girls do. Right. What do you think? Yeah, I'm sure that that's the case. And they could have got that creepy vibe. I mean, it's a small town. It's somewhere they go and hang out. And if it's somebody they see for the first time and he's walk, I mean, he obviously has to walk in a, a weird manner to, to cross this bridge or whatever. But yeah, I, I just don't know. There's a lot of good evidence here and a lot of stuff that's been made public and I'm I'm hoping things come back around, especially with that small of an area. And he even came right out and said, I think this is somebody that lives here, maybe not full time, but visits often. We found this car abandoned at this specific location. If you were in that area at that time, let us know if you know anything about the car. There's just lots of, lots of evidence there that they have. And it sounds like even though that their investigation has taken almost did a 180. We have a brand new composite that doesn't look anything like the first one. It sounds like their confidence level is much higher in that last press conference that we just listened to, that they're they're on some serious leads. So, and almost like he was sending out a verbal threat to that person, like, hey, (laughs) you could be in this room right now. Yeah, exactly. And that's the way they should do it. They should let them know, you know, hey, dude, (laughs) your time is ticking. You know, we're coming for you. Countdown is on. Right. Yeah. Well, 
that being said, you know, I, I'd like to wrap this up, I think, by, you know, just, you know, saying if you know anything, if you have any tips, you know, reach out, uh, let people know. Otherwise, you know, we'll sit back and wait and hope for the day that law enforcement is able to crack the case because I think this one is super solvable based on everything that they have. And I, I don't know. I have a feeling it's going to be solved in this next uh, 12 months. Yeah, I really, really hope so. That'll be that'll be an episode that I'll be looking forward to as giving the update on this case and and what we learn once this once the case is solved. No kidding. Well, that'll do it for us this week. If you would like to head out to iTunes, give us a rating, five star review. We'll read your reviews live next episode. Or you can hit us up on social media, and you know where to find us. Stay safe.